Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Play for Keeps podcast. I'm Cameron Hay at Cameron underscore Hay on Twitter. And, of course, I am joined by Drew Williams at Dopest Drew on Twitter. As you all know, if you've listened to the last episode, of course, and if you aren't living under a rock, the NBA season has concluded. It has come to an end. And with the NBA season coming to an end, we will not be dissecting games. We will not be dissecting the playoffs, of course, anything that's currently going on until more than likely free agency. We'll do a draft primer episode, of course. But in the time being, we thought it would be cool to start conducting a few different exercises and experiments with you guys. And one of the experiments that we're going to start off with, which I think is going to be really fun and provide a really, really good episode this week, is we're going to look at five teams from the league's past that did not win championships that we think could have translated well into the current landscape of the NBA and maybe not necessarily won a championship but would have still been contenders or even better than they were in the area that they played in. And what got us started on this, of course, was a tweet that we saw earlier this week where David West was discussing the, I want to say the 07 Toronto yeah, I believe Raptors. it was that year because Barniani didn't get yeah. there until yeah. 07. So the like the 07-08 Toronto Raptors with Chris Bosh and Andrea Barniani and David West believed that that team, in particular that front court, would have translated well into the modern NBA landscape. And when you look at it on paper, I mean, he has a point. Chris Bosh was their four who could guard the four, could guard the pick and roll, solid rim protector, rebounded at a high level before he got to Miami, and he could space the floor. He wasn't the three-point shooter that he became when he got to Miami and later on in his career, but he was always elite in the mid-range. And then, of course, Andrea Bargnani. Main reason he he went number one overall, really, was he was a seven-footer who could stretch the floor and score from man, everywhere on the they floor. Were, they were comparing him to Dirk like yeah. crazy, man. Seven-footer, could shoot the three and everything. Seeing that, me and Drew, of course, we, we had a conversation outside of the podcast and talking to one another and it got us thinking about five teams that we thought could translate into the into today's modern landscape where the pace of play might be faster than team that than any of these teams era that they played in three-point shooting is definitely way up across the league than any of these five teams that we're going to name and we just think that these five teams while they might nest they might not necessarily win a championship in this era they definitely could be competitive at worst entertaining <laughs> and so before we dive into those five teams of course do you agree with david west that those raptors teams would be able to translate into today's league and actually be better now than they were then uh not really i mean bosh i don't think he had unlocked the the defensive potential that he showcased in miami yeah. so i don't know if you can get away with having a, a front court of Bargnani and Bosch being your main bigs. I but think I, Bosch is an individual player. Mm-hmm. Miami Chris Bosch. Yeah, no, for sure. thrive in today's league. For sure, for sure. And and Bargnani, I mean, he had a couple years he averaged 20. Yeah. Like, he, he definitely could fill it up on bad teams and everything. But I don't know. I mean. Yeah, those Raptors teams were like a seven seed. Yeah. I mean, they, they didn't really go really far, and they had a good coach. Sam Mitchell won Coach of the Year with them. I don't know. I mean, the, the quote that David West talked about, he, he thought Bargnani would be dominant in today's league. Yeah. And I know he talked about, like, the sweet move that he did, and they wouldn't give it to him back then, but he's talking about they would give it to him now. Yeah. And I mean, he, he has a point. Yeah, obviously. And, you know, a three-point shooting seven-footer like that, they don't come along very often you know and he probably get up a whole lot more now but the teams are just not they they would know how to utilize them more definitely just with the way that the game is played you see bigs we, we watched the whole nba playoffs this pat this past postseason where you saw anthony davis of course was able to space the floor for the los angeles lakers that was a big part of their offense yeah nikola Jokic, yeah his inside out dominance basically carried the Nuggets passed the Clippers yeah. into the conference finals. 
and there are other bigs, of course, league-wide. You see guys like Carl Anthony Towns, uh, even Joel Embiid yeah. steps out. And so it's a lot more prevalent through the NBA now than it was. Which It, it was only – this combination in the front court was only 12 years ago. Yeah, it, it's that's a while, but it's not really that. I long. mean, but it's it's funny, you know, when we were talking about what t- what five teams we were gonna go over, and I looked back and I'm like, man, like the league is completely different than completely. it was. The, you know, all these teams we talked about are from the past twenty years, and the league is not even comparable. Like, no. it's almost like comparing the 2010 teams to the 90s teams like you you can't compare it's completely different basketball the the league is completely different style of play is different and i think the current style of play that we see across the league now where there's way there's not want to say way but there's more three-point shooting um the pace of play is a little bit faster i think we kind of started to see that get ushered in a little bit at the full at its full potential with the 2013 and 2014 finals between the Miami Heat and the San Antonio Spurs. Neither one of those teams, I want to say, played particularly fast. But the three-point shooting, I believe, took off between those two teams. Especially in my mind when I watched the 2014 finals, the way the San Antonio Spurs were able to just yeah, I mean, dismantle Danny, the, Danny Green, yeah. you know, getting the, the three-point record. Gary Neal was on the team. Yeah, they, they definitely were getting Bellinelli. up and down. And then in Miami, you had Battier, Rashard Lewis, and Mike Ray Miller. Allen, Mike Miller. You, you, Chalmers, of course. Yeah, I mean. And then, you, like we said, Bosch. You had a lot of high-volume three-point shooters. And I feel like at that point, we had never ever seen like a, a run and gun trigger happy like that team make to the finals and win. No, and I, and it's weird because I still don't even consider either one of those teams. Run yeah, and gun. I I don't either. But they definitely they took the sm- they took the small ball aspect and the high volume. The the, the heat for sure took yeah. the small ball aspect when they moved LeBron to the four, Bosh yeah. down to the five, and it's crazy. Like the Spurs were still. They still ran a traditional two big lineup to start games. Tiago and, and, and Duncan. And I mean, but, Duncan. but they Dio get, was also. Dio, yeah, Dio was heavy in the rotation. They would play a lot of him at the four. Yeah, and so they still didn't compromise their size while also while also being an elite three-point shooting team. And a lot of their three-point shooting came from the fact they moved the ball so well. That was what stood out. That's what stood out to me the yeah. most watching the 2014 finals. And it stood out in the 2013 finals, the Miami Heat. Were just able to overcome it because they they were the more talented team. But in 2014, after another year of wearing tear for the Heat, their fourth straight year in the finals, you started to get diminished returns on guys like Bosch and Wade. The deeper you got in the playoffs, the Spurs were ready to take advantage of it. And they were also they they were really fresh. Remember, yeah. those Spurs teams weren't playing guys more than 28 minutes. If you remember yeah. it, like even Kawhi Leonard, who was the youngest player on the team did not play 30 minutes a night for them throughout the regular season and in yeah. the playoffs. Like, they were just really deep, really well prepared, and they spaced the floor at an elite level while giving Duncan the space to operate around the rim. And well, it, was just, it was just hard to beat. And Tim and Tony Parker as well gave him the yeah. space to get, yeah. get into the paint as well. And he was a better three-point shooter at that point yeah. in his career than he was, of course, Earlier. in 03, 05, 07 right. on those championship teams. What what would you think, other than like you know the high volume of three point shoot, shooting and the pace of play, what do you think is different now, like in drastic comparison to the I, early two thousands? I definitely think the positionless basketball. Yeah, I think the fact that you don't see the Lakers. That's what made their championship this year stand out, in my opinion. Of course, you have when you put a pairing like LeBron and Anthony Davis together you're going to get good results. But the fact that they weren't scared, they kind of zigged while everybody else was zagging. Yeah. They went back to they went to the true tra- the traditional two big lineup with Anthony Davis at the power forward, JaVale McGee at the five, and they started Dwight. That was their regular season. I mean, not started Dwight. Brought Dwight off the bench. Right. That was their regular season front court rotation. And then you saw in the playoffs – JaVale eventually got benched in favor of Dwight in the Western Conference Finals. And they both were benched. Dwight and JaVale were benched in the Western Conference Semifinals against the Houston Rockets for Markeith Morris. And then in the NBA Finals as well, Dwight and JaVale basically got set down the deeper the series went 
in favor of putting Anthony Davis down at the five. Yeah, I mean, small. In. Yeah, I mean, the, the small ball lineup is yeah. kind of the the newer wave. You you, you damn near can't win unless you don't have a small ball lineup yeah. that you can throw out. The Nuggets were they they start Millsap and Jeremy Grant, two guys. Millsap is a traditional four, but he isn't necessarily he's not six ten or anything like that. And then you see a guy like Jeremy Grant who can play. Both forward, forward positions can guard both forward positions. Right. You just see more positionless basketball. It was one of the, the main reasons people were high on the Clippers coming into the season. When you could put a lineup out there. And then, of course, when they acquired Marcus Morris, when you could put a lineup out there of, of Lou Williams, Paul George, Kawhi, Marcus Morris, and Montrez Harrell, that was the lineup that people thought would be the dominant one for them. It's a it's a really big emphasis on positionless basketball. I think that it kind of started like with the Miami Heat putting <clears throat> essentially four perimeter players around Chris Bosh before yeah. I went in, and you saw it take a whole new life in the 2015 Finals with the Golden State Warriors unlocking their death lineup with Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Harrison Barnes, Andre Iguodala, Draymond Green, right. and I think that's the biggest difference between the NBA now and what we were able, what we were seeing. Up until about 2012, so that would be the biggest difference for me. But we can go ahead and start diving into these five teams. And before we dive into the five teams, I will give a, a precursor into the current league pace of play and points per game average compared to what each of these teams' league average pace of play and points per game was during their era. So the current NBA average for pace of play this 2019-2020 season was 100.3. That was the league average for pace of play, and the league average for scoring points per game was 111.8. The first team that we're going to talk about that we think could translate well into this era was the 2001-2002 Sacramento Kings. During that season, the league average for pace of play was 90.7, a full, nearly 10 full points below what it is this past regular season. Man, yeah, 18 and, years ago. And the scoring average across the league for that season was 95.5 points per game, more than 16 points less than what the current scoring average across the league is. Now, the Kings, they went 61-21 and 21 that season. Mm-hmm. They, they averaged 104.6 points per game, so they were nearly 10 points higher than what the league average for scoring was. All right. And they, pl- they played at an average pace – of 95.6, which was the best in the league that season. So they were the fastest team in the league, and they were second in the league in scoring. What What about that team is it that makes you believe they would be able to translate well into the modern <clears throat> landscape? Man, other than this being one of the best teams ever that never didn't win a title, I agree. They, they have all, everything you would need nowadays other than – a dominant guard, and I'll get into that a little bit later, but let me start at the top. I mean, Weber, 25 and 10, five dimes a night. You know, dominant first just team all watch NBA. Guy like, I don't think they play alike, but Bam played that point center yeah. type position for them. <clears throat> Weber, I think, could excel in that type of role. For sure. Being For a, sure. an elite passing big man who could score as well. Bro, underrated defensive player too. Averaged, you know, one and a half blocks yeah. per game. But obviously. Yeah, 1.7 steals. Yeah. D- very, very good defensive versatility. Uh, you got Peja Stojakovic. Averaged 21 on 48, 42, 88 splits. I mean. <laughs> Sniper. Man, everywhere on the court. And Pedro was 6'10". Yeah, yeah, both of them were all-star that year. And then you have, you know, Doug Christie with a very solid wing. Vladi Divac with a vet at that point, along with Peja, had, you know, kind of, you know, created his own little niche as one of the best European players ever, or for that era at least. He's definitely one of the best Euros ever. Yeah. And then, you know, they had a young Hito Turkoglu on that yeah, team too. points. And then they had, obviously, brought over Mike Bibby from Vancouver that year, and he really took them over the top. I mean, Weber was hooping the year before. I mean, he averaged like 27 and 11 yeah, Bibby the year came before. Yeah, and he, gave, he was averaging basically 14 points for them and five assists while shooting 37% from three. Yeah. And he honestly, him, Paige Stojakovic, and Chris Weber are the three guys that – I really believe in translating well into this era. Yeah. And I think even a guy like Bibby could be even more dominant 
yeah even better i don't like i don't know what his ceiling necessarily would be but just having a guard who was that who was able to stretch the floor like that he was quick he could get in the in the, in the paint consistently yeah i think that sh- that style of play from your lead guard position would have definitely translated well into the modern nba landscape i definitely think it takes him a lot higher than when they had white chocolate the year yeah. before i mean very, very good passion, you know, fine, solid point guard for there. He won a, a championship, you know, the yeah, starter in Miami. Miami yeah. But I don't know if he can be your best perimeter, you know, guard. And and you have guys, you know, the, the guard killer they got out now, you know, you got Dame no. on the other end and all that. No, I mean, he, he might not necessarily. Yeah, he may not. You know, go back at Dame either, but he can at least you know score a little bit more. So yeah. I feel a little bit more comfortable by having him. But and Bobby Jackson was off the bench on this team right, as well. Right, that's very true. This team has seven guys averaging double figures. Yeah, in in O two. Yeah, seven guys average double figures. That's wild. and that's with two twenty point per game scores on the team as well. Yeah, like that's crazy. So they have the scoring depth. They have the perimeter firepower because looking at their three point percentages. They had one, two, three, four, five guys on their roster shot at least 36% from three. Yeah. And at that time, that was kind of unheard of, especially for the the amount of attempts they put up. They weren't necessarily shooting the, they they weren't shooting the same amount of threes that teams are shooting today, of course. But having Stojakovic, Mike Bibby, Bobby Jackson, Hito Turgulu, these type mm-hmm. of shooters, and, he, and Doug Christie as well, who shot 35%. Yeah. These they had options at all times, and it provided space for Chris Webber to work out of the mid post, elbow extended down towards the basket. I think their offense was ahead of its time, and of course, we've talked about why they lost in the, the yeah. Western Conference Finals to the Los Angeles Lakers. But we, they, they have got a guy on their team, Paige Stajakovic, who won a, a championship in the modern NBA, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't like he wasn't the same guy. But yeah. if, I remember when they played when the Mavericks when they played the Lakers in the second round. Oh, he round, was shooting them. He was shooting the lights off the floor. Yeah. I mean, him, Jason Terry, yeah, all of them. All they were guys. definitely cooking. But the thing that I really look at with the O two Kings, Weber played a whole lot of five back then when Vladi went out. He, yeah. you know, would move over to the five. But I think he would play obviously a whole lot more five now. And, you know, they was feasted, you know, him being a small ball five there. I mean, hell, like I said, the year before he was 27 and 11. Yeah. And obviously, Peja being six foot ten, he can flourish as a small ball four. And I almost would look at him like you a better be- version of, like, Danilo Gallinari now, like, on, like, steroids. That's possible as well. That's, very That's really how I would look at it. How I do you mean, look at their defense, though? Yeah. I feel like they would make a move. They'd probably, like, get rid of Vladi Divac in today's NBA. Like, what? They don't, you need a traditional five like that when you got to bang with, you know, Shaq and all that. What about, like, we just talking about, like, Jokic and the Lakers as well. I mean, you can get somebody to come in for those matchups, you know, whether it's Dwight well, why or something. Why not just move like, Vladi to the bench then? Well, that can work too. Him. But, I mean, I would think they would have to show up there, you know. Wing scoring, or I definitely, you know, something I'm like at, that. I definitely think they probably need another wing. Yeah, to truly, in in this era, to truly go over the top. Yeah, but I like this roster a lot. I like the how efficient all of their top guys were as far as scoring. You see, Weber's fifty percent from the field. Paige Djokovic to be a, a sniper like that, a three point shooter, yeah. shot forty eight percent from the field. On 40, and then 42. Yeah, 42% from three. And 88 from the free throw line. Yeah, Doug Christie is 46 from the field. Mike Bibby, 45. glue he's like really the only guy that kind of you, you, his efficiency leaves more to be desired as far as shooting percentage. From young, the field. though. He's young, exactly. Very, very young. Like, I, I really like this roster. Like you said already, they're one of the best teams on the short list of best teams to never yeah. win a championship. We, we're both in agreement. Their one weakness as far as today's NBA. And I think it, it honestly showed itself when they played the Lakers back then as well. as just having, like, wing scoring and defense. Yeah. Kobe used to kill these guys. Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, Kobe killed everybody, but he would kill these guys. Uh, I wonder how they would go about guarding a guy like LeBron James in this league. And, of course, nobody can really guard LeBron. Right. Same thing with Kevin Durant. 
you can't really guard those guys. You just kind of try to you make them work, slow them down, work as hard as they possibly can to get right. their points and be effective. Um, but even a guy like James Harden, he might he would he would definitely. And if he's yeah. another guy who you don't. They really probably stop. need to, to add like a three and D or a wing yeah. guy. And Doug Christie you know. is really good as a three. And, he was like an early three and D type of. Yeah, guy. but he ain't gonna cut it today. I mean, fine player for the era, but. The thing that really sticks out for me, too, is that in 2020, their scoring average that they had would be the second lowest, only they, higher. They were second in the league in scoring. Yeah, only higher than the Charlotte Hornets. Like, And obviously, they played at a, a pace today. At Their pace now would be obviously the, the, low, the slowest yeah. in the NBA. But... You know, I feel like Rick Adelman would adjust to what they were doing. I mean, he, you know, he was obviously a good coach. He took those Portland teams in the 90s and the late 80s to the finals. Um, the Kings teams, they went to West the Western Conference, Conference finals. finals. And then he coached the Rockets that went to the Western Conference semifinals. They went, yeah. They go six games with the Lakers? Yeah. Six, yeah. Without Yao or Tracy McGrady. Yeah. So, Ron Artest, Battier, Chuck Hayes, and all of that. And Aaron Brooks. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron Brooks. Yeah. So I, I feel like Rick Adelman would have figured out how to, you know, yeah. we're going to get this thing really efficient. I agree. And play Weber a whole lot of five. But they're definitely one of the better teams if you drop them into 2020. So what do you think their ceiling is in today's? Oh, they're game? a contender. They're a contender. They're for sure a contender. Would you be, if we drop them, of course we can't prove any of this. But if you drop them in today's league, and somebody told you that this Sacramento Kings team won the 2020 NBA championship, would you be surprised? If they can add a wing, no. If they can't add a wing, yeah. Okay. Because they would need at least one. It doesn't even have to be, like, elite, but somebody that can get you, you know, 14, 15. Jeremy maybe Grant from, would be perfect for you. Yeah, maybe that, you know, somebody that can defend a little. I mean, I'm asking for a very, very no, particular you you, player. You the young Spurs, Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, right? pretty much. But, I mean, I think they would be able to contend strictly off having, like, Weber, Peja, Mike Bibby, and, you know, a good slew of role players. High on this team. So, I think I would agree. I would agree. I think that if they were able to, to upgrade the wing position a little bit more, I would not be shocked if this team were to win a championship in today's era. But as currently constructed, I think, of course, I agree with you. I think they would probably be a, an elite Western Conference team. Definitely could get to the Western Conference Finals. I think you have a hard time beating a team like the Lakers if you don't have the requisite wing defense and even scoring. Right. We can go ahead and move on to our second team on the list, yeah. which is we actually have a pair of teams from the 2006-2007 season. And we'll start it off with, the 2006-2007 Phoenix Suns. Now, the season league average for pace of play in that season was 91.9, and the scoring average was 98.7. This team completely lit up the sc- lit up the scoring average. Went past it. They won 61 games, which was second in the Western Conference, behind the 67 and 15 Dallas Mavericks. They averaged 110 points per game. League average now is 111.8, so they were not far behind what the current league average for scoring is in their time. That led the league in scoring also, and they played at a pace of play of 95.6, which was third in the league at the time. Now, I think this is everybody. I think anybody who wants to trace back any origins of today's style of play, they're going to look at Mike D'Antoni. Hell, he's coaching right now one of the more prolific offensive teams. Oh, he teams. was. Well, he was. He was coaching yeah. the Houston Rockets. And he had success as their coach. They went to two playoffs Western every Conference time Finals. he was there. Two, like, two Western, no, they went to one Western Conference Finals. Oh, you're right. One of them was Rick, with uh, uh, Kevin McHale. Kevin McHale took him in 20 But they had their best non-championship seed. He coached one of the best teams to never win a championship. Yeah. The, the 2018 Houston Rockets team with Chris Paul, James Harden. And so, this Suns team was just ridiculous. If you were watching them at the time, you knew how deadly they were on offense. Sean, Sean Marion, of course, 17.5 points per game. Their leading scorer was Amari Stoudemire. 20 points, 10 rebounds pretty much. Steve Nash, second leading scorer, 18.6 points, while also averaging nearly 12 assists per game. And 
Raja Bell was at 14 points per game. And you just had guys like Boris Diaw was uh, 9.7. Leandro Barbosa was at 18. So they just had scoring up and down this roster out of their top guys. What is it about this team that you are high on? Well, I, I think like the Kings, another team that was robbed out of a finals appearance. I mean, yeah, bogus Amari. Robert Ory, hockey checks Nash, and Amari and Dial leave the bench. They just step on the. They take one step onto. The court. I mean, they, they they came onto the court, and obviously you can't do that, so they got suspended. But this team had books written about them. Yeah. The seven seconds or less team. I mean, really, the the era, 05 to, to 08. Yeah. I mean, Mike D'Antoni, everybody looked at him like a madman. <laughs> and, and they were only averaging 110 and third in the pace. Like, to look at that now. 110 in, in, in 2007 was unheard of. They were like, what are you doing? Like, you are taking the purity out of, out of the sport. I remember... Analysts and teams would say, well, not teams, but analysts would say they didn't play defense because they were still allowing, I believe, like, what were they allowing points per game? They allowed 103 points per game, which was 23rd out of 30. And teams would, and people would say they didn't play defense. But yeah. that's a plus seven point differential. Yeah, You're going to win a lot of games as evidenced by them winning 60, 61 games. If you can outscore teams by seven a night, you're not really playing close games, really. Yeah, that's a wide scoring margin in the NBA. Definitely, I think they were better than they were given credit for defensively. They clearly weren't elite. Like, well, I mean, and and that's kind of where I go with it because I mean, I look at that 05 to 08 era. They really had three different iterations of this Phoenix Suns yeah. seven to seven seconds or less team. They had the first year with Nash, where they had Quinn Richardson. Tim Thomas and like Joe Johnson. Yeah, Joe Johnson. They they weren't like this team at all. No. And then the year after they made a couple of changes and then eventually they ended up getting this iteration we had. Now you had Nash towards ACL to right. your he, he got hurt and he came back and changed his number. Yeah. So they had Nash, the back to back MVP. You know, we just touched on Amari coming off surgery, playing the best ball of his life. Sean Marion, the OG like Draymond in terms of defensive versatility. Yeah. Could defend wings. Did an excellent power Yep, excellent job on power forward. He's a I starting mean, power forward. Yeah. Well, him and him and Diaz. Yeah, you're the, right, you're right, you're right, you're right. The forwards. But we're talking about a guy that averaged, you know, two steals and one and a half blocks per game. Like and ten rebounds at yeah, six seven. At six seven. Like that that is unheard of. I nowadays. think Sean Marion belongs in the Hall of Fame. That's I don't know if he did enough, but that's a, a, that's a, thing that's for a completely it. different that, conversation. A, but that's just how highly I think of him. Yeah, uh, he, and he was a big part of the 2011 Mavs. Another player yeah, like Pasia, <laughs> like Pasia from that era. I think this is we didn't we didn't even intend to talk about them, but I think that speaks volumes that we have these two teams on here, who have players who ended up winning championships in the modern yeah, NBA in 2011. Yeah, and you know like. Like we talked about, moving on to the role players. I mean, dare I say the best defensive two guard in the league in Rajah Bell? I mean, at the time, probably. Yeah, Kobe and Katie have talked about you know how tough he was defensively, and he had a scope. Like he he could shoot from anywhere. One of the best. Forty one percent from three. Man, six attempts could shoot the leather off the ball, bro. Fourteen point seven points per game. Yeah, bro, cooking and (laughs) like you said, backing him up. Six man of the year, Leandro Barbosa. Average 18 a night off the bench. Could relieve at the either guard position. Shot 43% from Man. And was the fastest man in the league probably. At yeah. The, the Brazilian blur. Yeah. And, and you want to talk about versatility. Boris Diaw, before he put on the weight in San Antonio, could really move his feet. And one of the best passing big men in the league at that time. Knocked down big shots, big threes. Gave him 10 points, 5 assists, and 4 rebounds off yeah. the bench. Yeah. He was most improved the year before, I believe. Yeah. And the team... That they, you know, the Phoenix lost to, you know, like I talked about, Robert Ory, Check, and Nash. They probably get through and beat the Cavs. Oh, yeah. If they get through that final. If they don't get, if Amari doesn't get suspended and they beat the Spurs, they beat the Jazz in the Western Conference Finals. Mm, Right. And I 100% believe they beat the Cavs as well in the NBA Finals. That's one of the biggest what ifs in my lifetime in NBA is what if. For sure. The league doesn't suspend Amari. 
for a game. I wonder if they do that board. now. Like, obviously, like, they, they were just following protocol, but... I don't think that that happens to the, in today's league. I do not think Like, that that Adam happens. Silver might be like, man, no. we're not going to take a no. an all-star big out of, a, their, a their out of a playoff game. Out of a game in a series. They were, I think they were down 2-1 as is. Yeah. And you're taking their leading score out of a playoff game. Yeah. Like, that's not happening today. There's no way. James Harden's not getting suspended a playoff game for taking two steps onto the court. Yeah. They'll be like, no. Like, there has to be some sort of gray area. Yeah. I definitely agree. I I think this team had, you know, defensive versatility. They can get up and down. They could shoot from everywhere. The only issue I think they would have, you know, like the Kings, they would probably have to make a move to. Some wing scoring? That. And I think they would probably have to find a better reserve big because Kurt Thomas was really their only big that played off the bench. That's true. And I don't, you know, he was a fine big for that era. Yeah, right. He was at the end of his career, undersized five, not really a rim protector. They didn't really have any rim protection because Amari wasn't out there blocking shots either. So, I mean, I think they would probably be best served getting, you know, some type of big that can protect the rim or. Rebound. Sean was a best rim protector. Yeah, at six foot seven. Yeah. So I do like their. I like. I agree with you. I like their defensive versatility. As far as I think with Rajah Bell and Sean Marion. Yeah. You just it's a lot you can do with both of those guys. Yeah. I also think Nash in today's era, if he's asked to score more, I think he'd be even more dominant of, a, of yeah. an offensive. Yeah. Fifty forty ninety for a reason. He. He definitely would have been able to get up a lot more high volume of threes. Like he's not going to be like on Curry, you know, shooting, you know, eleven a night. No, but, but if you get him up to like eight, yeah. I think Nash in today's area, if you get him shooting eight threes a game, it takes this offense to an even higher level than it already was because yeah. him and Amari and the spam and the pick and, and, and pop roll. was unstoppable. It. it was unstoppable. And and Amari, you know, it's funny when he went to New York. He added three ball to his yeah. game, and he probably adds that even earlier. If he's in today's, in today's NBA, I agree. so we probably get him, you know, spreading it out, and we got a five out because you know Dial is going to sit in that corner and shoot threes too. Um, I, it's a lot of guys on this team. I just think they look even better than they did then. Today, yeah. Amari's another one of those guys. Like, I think I said, Steve, not Steve Nash. I think Sean Marion's a Hall of Famer. I think Amari Stoudemire. Is a borderline Hall of Famer, if not lock. I mean, uh, if Sean Marion is in your Hall of Fame, Amari got to be in it. Amari was the better player, for yeah. sure. And so, More accomplished, for sure. And I think, all NBAs and everything. And I think both of those guys are better in today's league. Oh, for sure. I don't know if Marion's numbers are higher. I think they're probably around the same. But I just think his importance. And his importance was... they People knew how important he was... During this era, he made the all-star team for, like, six years straight in Phoenix. Yeah. And he was just a really good guy. He, he even averaged 20 and 10 a few years. Yeah. But I think they – he would be one of the best, like, forwards as far as for sure. defensive players who could score, mm-hmm. athletic, multiple position, could guard multiple positions. Like, I just think his importance and his appre- the way people appreciate him would be even higher in yeah. today's league. And like you said with Amari, if he's playing now – with that type of athleticism, and he starts spreading the floor even earlier and adding that to his game even earlier, who knows how much better he even is. All right. So, like, he, when he was in his second year, he was giving Tim Duncan hell in the Western Conference Finals. Like, he was a handful. Yeah. He was a monster. He was an animal. He was the most athletic big in the league at the time. And he didn't even know how to play for real yet, and he was dominating Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I mean, he was the rookie of the year for a reason. So, this is a team that I, when we first discussed doing this, they came to my mind immediately. Yeah. I just think that this team has everything you would be looking for to at least be the same level of 61 or 60-plus wins in today's league. It would just be too much. This is Mike D'Antoni is able to win fifty-five games consistently with this Rockets team of James Harden and a bunch of cast off. Just a really. bunch, exactly. This is a legitimate, a legitimately good team. This is probably team. like Mike D'Antoni, 
if you can probably put together the perfect roster out of all the guys, every roster you've had, this is probably as close to what yeah. he would probably want in an ideal situation. You would you just drop Harden on this team, probably. Well, I mean, yeah, like if we're taking guys from other teams, yeah, yeah, but like out of all his teams, this like as far as like playing how he would want to play, yeah, I feel like the 07 Suns probably fit the bill. So, do you think that this team, if if without making any adjustments to the roster? You they would they be a contender. Yeah, for sure. You would not be surprised if they won. No, the not at all. I would not either. Not I think at all. If if somebody told me that this team won the 2020 NBA Finals, I would not have been shocked. Yeah. I think that this roster has pretty much everything you need to compete at the highest level and play against anybody. And to the, in this season's NBA landscape, they could play with anybody. Definitely. Another team from 2006-2007 season that we're going to get into they are not the one seed Dallas Mavericks. They are the team that beat the one seeded Dallas Mavericks, the 0607 Golden State Warriors. They finished 42 and 40 in the regular season that year, eighth in the Western Conference. They averaged 106.5 points per game, which was second in the league behind those Phoenix Suns. And they played at a pace of 99.2, which was the best in the league, the highest pace in the league at the time. What is it about this team in particular that. <clears throat> makes you confident that they would be even better than they were then now. I know we talked about Mike D'Antoni starting like the current style of play, but I feel like Don Nelson is really the, the true godfather of the the up tempo yeah. you know, getting up and down style of play. And he had the horses to do it with this team. You know, Baron Davis, J- Jason Williams Steven Jackson and Monte Ellis, like a crazy group of playmakers. All of them are, you know, averaging 17, 18 at least, you know, points a game. You had Al Harrington, one of the best stretch bigs in the league at the time, shooting 42% on from three. From three at, you know, over four, you know, attempts a night. And at that time, a big man shooting over four threes was yeah. unheard of, you know, at that clip. And then you had obviously Andres Bedrins, you know, Giving you almost two blocks a night, just under ten boards. They had a really good rotation of players. You know, this team was quietly kind of deep, other than the injuries happening to yeah. them. So you have Baron, Monte Ellis, Stephen Jackson, Al Harrington, Jason Richardson. You have all of these guys averaging double figures in scoring. Yeah, and then you have Michael P- Mikael Peters giving you eleven off the bench. Yeah, I know Mike Dunleavy got hurt that year, but he. Before he got hurt. He was giving you 11 off the bench. I mean, it's funny. This team made the playoffs at 42 and 40. Then came back the next year and won 48 games and missed the playoffs. You had to win 58, 51. You and know, those were the eight seed with Carmelo with and, 50 and games. Allen Iverson. 50, 50 games. And, you know, it's funny. They were second in the league in scoring and obviously in first pace and pace. But they were literally 30th. And scoring defense that year, they gave up more points than yeah, they, than they yeah, gave they literally scored. gave up more points per game than they scored. One hundred six point nine opposing points per game, one hundred six point five points for yeah. It was a shootout every night with them, man. And I would think they would have to clean that up in today's NBA, but with Don Nelson, it's kind of hard for me to when you, think. When they, they're going to play even faster today. They're probably not probably. They are going to score even more points, and they're going to give up. They're going to give more. up even more points, though. <laughs> so, I think that this is the first team we've gotten to on here. I do not think they are a contender. Yeah, today's I don't game. think they're a contender. I do not think they're, they they're better. They are better. They're I definitely think. more entertaining. Yeah, but I do not think they are a contender just because they their indifference to defense. But this team is going to be hard to guard they are going to be a nightmare to guard for whoever it is they're going up against any given night your point guard is baron davis he's made for this league having this much space an athlete like him big body guard can get in the paint at will every time he's a streaky shooter but he's a capable shooter he shot 30 percent from three this year in 0607 but his three-point centers fluctuated every season of his career like you never knew what you were getting um Shot 44% from the field. I just think that a guy like Baron Davis would be insane in today's NBA. 20 points, 8 assists. Monte Ellis coming off the bench. Young Monte Ellis. Yeah. 16 points per game. 4 assists. 
we were talking about Leandro Barbosa was the fastest player in the league. Montez wasn't that far behind back then. Yeah. And so, of course, Captain Jack, Steven Jackson. They have a bunch of guys who are just capable of knocking down shots. Um, like you said, Baron Davis, Steven Jackson shot 34% from three. Jason Richardson shot 37%. Al Harrison shot 42%. Michael Petras shot 39%. Matt Barnes shot 37%. Kalina Azubuki shot 43%. So they had guys on their team. Now, a lot of these guys weren't shooting crazy high volume, but this shows they're capable. Yeah. And I think that, of course, with the pace being higher today, more shots getting up, they become even more dangerous. You don't. I don't think you want a team like this shooting even more threes if you're playing defense. Like, yeah. It's, it's going to get – it could get scary for you. The wrong night, they could run you out the gym. And so – They could definitely lead, like, the league in scoring in today's uh, Yeah, they NBA. could definitely lead the league in scoring, I think, in today's league. If they stay healthy – with this lineup, for sure, they they'll put up points in a heartbeat on anybody. Yeah, Baron Davis might average twenty four points in today's league. Yeah, like all no no joking, Jason Richardson would be averaging probably twenty on this team in today's league. Yeah, Montel's would be like they would just be ridiculous. They would they would probably be averaging around one hundred and twenty points per game in today's NBA. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. That would not shock me. And so I, that's the main reason I'm high on them in today's era. I don't think they're a contender, of course, but just as far as entertainment value and being hard to guard, yeah, this is going to be a tough team. It's going to be a tough team to guard for sure. Definitely. I definitely agree there. So what is it about this team in today's league? We said they aren't a contender. What is it they are missing that will put them over the top? Or make them a contender in your opinion? Because we said the next year after this year they won forty eight games. Who 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 plays defense on this team? Steven Jackson guard and Matt Barnes. I'll give them those two. Steven Jackson did a good job. Remember, Steven Jackson was the one who guarded Dirk for the most part in the in the first round. Yeah, and and, and Dirk should be ostracized <laughs> for having somebody five inches shorter than him. Gave him gave him problems. Gave him the blues, but they they don't play defense enough. So like they obviously need. Not only better individual defenders, they need better defensive schematics, and they need a coach that gives a damn about defense. Yeah, so one like, thing Don Nelson was not particularly high on. I'm not sure that they could make one or two moves and become a contender. Like they, they need to get some actual contender. But they have really, really nice, you know, guys. You know, that could be on a rotation for a good. This is gonna sound. Good team. It might sound crazy. You trade one of Monte or Jason Richardson for a guy like Rajah Bell. Yeah. Like you said, who's playing defense? Probably, to be honest with you, Monte. If you could trade Monte at this point for Rajah Bell. In the second year. It's, yeah. Like, Monte at this point, people thought he was. I remember they were. He, became most, pre- he became most improved player. I think he year. averaged 20 the next season off the yeah. bench. It's hard. You, it's gonna be hard giving up a guy like Monte. Like, but I mean, we know in hindsight they they let Jason Richardson go yeah. the next summer, and uh, so he went to Charlotte. He so. went to Charlotte. It was amazing in Charlotte for him. But I just don't think this team guards well enough at all. They don't. They don't. They don't care about defense enough nope. to really be a contender in today's league. Can't be thirtieth and like no. and points and, allowed and points allowed and expect to win. No, if they were 30th in, they're probably going to be around the bottom 10, at least, in today's league. Yeah. In points allowed per game. And that's going to hurt them. But I could definitely see them making the playoffs. I could see this team being... We got a sub-500 team in the West in the playoffs. Right. They could definitely make the playoffs. I could I could even see them being maybe as high as 7 if they stay healthy, if they have good health. I could see them getting as high as a 7. I just don't see them as a serious contender. They will be in the first round. Uh, of course, we saw they are capable of winning a series. Right. I think that's the ceiling for them still. I just think they're even more entertaining today than they were back then. We're going to fast forward about three three years, three seasons, into the 08-09 season for the 2008-2009 Orlando Magic. Now, of course, the season average for pace of play that year was 91.7. So we actually have gotten slower <laughs> than we were just three seasons ago, 2006-2007. The pace of play across the league has gotten slower with an average of scoring across the league at 100 points flat, of even 100 points per game. 
The Magic, they finished 59-23 third in the Eastern Conference. They averaged 101 points per game, which was 10th in the NBA, and they played at a pace of 92.3, which was 12th in the NBA. But they did lead the league in defensive rating at 101.9, and there is a particular reason that you are high on them in this area compared than they were then, and that is why. Man, where do I even start? I mean, Dwight Howard won his first Defensive Player of the Year award that year, and I think he, like, crossed over to become a true superstar. He was already a star player, but he jumped up, you know, 21 points, lead the league in boards at 14, averaged three blocks a night, left the league. 14 rebounds, three blocks. Yeah, and they they surrounded him with four shooters at all times. I mean, Jameel Nelson had his best year ever. Before Incredible. it was cut short by injury that year. Crazy efficient. He averaged 17 and shot 50, 45, 89 split. Ridiculous. Like, I can't, even, I can't even imagine somebody shooting 50, 45, 89 we, we, other than Steph, Steph Curry. MVP other than Steph Curry. Like, that type of efficiency from a point guard. Like, crazy. Unheard of. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine that. And then that's just the start when it comes to shooting. I mean, they had... Hito Turkaloo and Rashard Lewis, two six ten guys that were, you know, shooting both well over forty percent from three. They combined. Turkaloo shot thirty six percent. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But Rashard Lewis, Rashard Lewis shot forty percent. Right. Three. So they combined for three hundred and fifty threes that year, which is like not that many. No. But back then, that's a lot. That's a very very high Courtney number. Lee shot forty percent from three. Yeah, and it, you know, like you said. Courtney Lee, and additionally, they had a young J.J. Redick, and that's not to mention they brought over Mikael Peters from the, the last team we talked about, yeah. Golden State, Golden so they team. had very good shooting, and obviously they got to the finals, you know, they won 59 games, so it's not like some under-the-radar pick, but they had, you know, steady veteran leadership, Ray yeah. for Austin. Sam uh, Van Gundy is the head coach. Yeah, I, I think Van Gundy did a perfect job of maximizing, you know, using yeah. Dwight and the shooters perfectly. Like, I, I, I know I remember reading about how Dwight wanted a lot more, like, low post-ups and stuff like that, but that really wasn't how they were going to get the most out of that team. No. They ran a whole lot of pick and roll, you know, surrounding Dwight with four shooters at all times. Certainly time. handled the ball a lot for this team. Yeah. They shot 26 threes per game, which is... You know, not that many no, that's, that's nowadays, obviously. Yeah, the well, no. Only the Knicks took more threes than them back then. The yeah. Mike D'Antoni Knicks in 09. <laughs> they were the only team taking more. Yeah. And now, if no team would take as few as 26 threes per game no. in today's league. Like, you're not going to be able to score. The Thunder and the Nuggets were the only team that made the playoffs <laughs> this year. That, sh- that shot less than 31 threes a night. Those are the only two teams, Denver and, and OKC. So, like, they definitely got up the three. They had the shooter. They had, you know, like you talked about, they were one of the best defensive efficiency teams in the league. They could defend. They could shoot. They literally had everything. And I really think the fact that they came back in 2010 the next year and won 59 games Again. and got to the Eastern Conference Finals. No, second round. Was it the second round? Are you sure it wasn't the finals? No, they got to the Western Conference Finals. They lost to Boston. Boston beat Cleveland in the semifinals. They they lost to Boston. They lost to Boston in six games in the conference finals. Right. So, there you go right there. The team definitely, you know, made far runs. And obviously, you know, Dwight. Seven guys on this team shot 35% or better from three. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Like, that is crazy. Seven guys. Yeah. Basically, every player they put on the court, for the most part, besides... Dwight Howard. Dwight was in Keith Bogan shot 33% before he got hurt. Literally, everybody they played that was in their rotation could shoot besides Dwight and Ray for Austin, pretty much. Ray for Austin shot 32% from three. Yeah, but he was giving you a lot of other things. Exactly. You know? So this team had, this was one of those teams where every player that they played served a purpose. Right. There was no body they put on the floor that didn't give them something. We need spot minutes, eight minutes just to, no. you know, get a breather from a guy. Every guy played. And that was one of the things that impressed me the most about the Miami Heat in, the run, in their run during the Eastern Conference playoffs. It never felt like they put a guy on the floor that didn't give them something. This was a team that it felt like everybody that they played gave them something. 
whether it was shooting, defense, scoring, anything of the anything that was required, the guy that they put on the floor could give them something. No, yep. um, and like you like you said about Dwight, Dwight took a leap this year, and he was he was really the main reason they were able to beat Cleveland. Of course, the shooting and the floor being spaced, but they just had no answer for Dwight. Yeah, he left Earth that series. Zydrunas Ogalskis could not handle him. Vergeau. Like, he was too much. He was too much for him. Yeah. And I think a lot of what they did in this this season translates well into 2019-2020. Especially when you have a guy like Dwight, one of the best defensive big men of all time, in his athletic prime at this point. Yeah. Um, I think that it just a lot. We saw how good Dwight was this season off the bench yeah. on defense for the Lakers. Like I just can only imagine what he would be like now if we got that version of him in today's NBA. Man, he, he gave him 25 and 13 for that series. Ridiculous. And what, in the closeout game, I think he had 40 points in game six against them. I can't remember off the top of my head. But in game six, I'm almost certain he scored 40 points against the, the Cavaliers. <laughs> he was just too much. He was too much for them. And so... We both are in agreement. They would be contenders today, right? Definitely. 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 Would you be surprised if they won the championship in the 2020 season with this roster? No, I would not. I definitely think they can play with any team today. I think I think they they're the first team we we've gotten to on here. I'm not gonna say the first because I think the first, the Kings team does it well also. But they had amazing their defense being as good as it was compared with the offense being able to score the way they did without playing a fast pace, I think that that's just going to make them a hard out in today's NBA landscape. Yeah. Being the best defensive team in the league while also doubling as the best three-point shooting team, Yeah, that's just ridiculous. That is ridiculous. And it, 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 took, them, it took them running into Kobe Bryant to lose. They yeah. beat LeBron. They beat LeBron. LeBron... 38-8-8 and eight was what he averaged in that Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. It took LeBron hitting one of his most iconic playoff buzzer beaters For to get a game yeah. against them. And it took him averaging 38 point, basically a 40-point triple-double not to get swept. That tells you how I tough mean, that team was. Isn't that more of an indictment on Mike Brown, too? I won't say Mike Brown. I think it was, I remember Mo Williams wasn't great that series. Yeah. They were starting a backcourt of Mo Williams, Delonte West. Yeah, it's just too small, especially against this team. Like, too small. You just aren't going to be able. And you don't really have a big no. that can give you anything. It's just tough. It's just really, really tough. the The last two teams that they, the Cavs are going to have to face that year, they were going to lose to one of them. It was either going to be the Magic or it was going to be the Lakers. They just didn't have enough. But this shows you how tough that team was. That LeBron. Up until that point, that was the best series he had played in his career. Yeah. And they still got them out of there in six games. And game six wasn't, in particular, super competitive. This team was just incredible. They had the bodies to throw on wings. Of course, Hito Turgaloo basically served as the offensive catalyst for them, especially in the playoffs. A lot of big shots, a lot of ball handling for them, balls in his hands a lot. You said Rashard Lewis, 6'10". Shooter like that, I, I like this team a lot in this area, and I don't think I would be surprised if they were able to squeeze out a, a championship in this 2020 season. Yeah, I, I do not think I would be surprised. That brings us to our final team on this list out of the five teams that we think would translate well into today's league the 2002 2003 Dallas Mavericks. They were coached by Don Nelson as well, weren't they? Yep. yep. He was the GM of the team, too. So, 2002-2003 season, the average pace of play across the league was 91.0, and the scoring average was 95.1. But this Mavericks team led the league in scoring with 103 points per game and played the seventh fastest pace, 92.5. Yeah. What is it about this team that you found them and you were high on them? Yeah. What is it about them that makes you really high on it, makes you believe that they could translate well into today's landscape. It's funny. I mean, all these teams, none of them won a championship. No. But I feel like this team flies under the radar even more so. Because originally, when we were thinking about who we were going to include in the five, obviously, this is the last team we, we thought about. 
I mean, we. Yeah. I didn't think I'm like man. Them them Dirk and, and Nash teams were very good. I mean they were good, but I mean this team won 60, 60 games. They were really really stacked, and I really am glad first Don Nelson can get his flowers today. But <laughs> they had obviously young Dirk, you know, twenty five and ten. Young Nash, Michael Finley's probably the th- the best third option in the league. Had to be at that point. Nice. I mean. Or yeah. Nas was Nas was the third option. Well, yeah, third option offensively. Yeah. Best third, best third. Either way, in the league. you got these two guys. Yeah, Nash was an all star and Dirk was an all star. I don't think Michael Finley was an all star. No, nineteen points per game. He was an all star one year, but he yeah. wasn't an all star that year. I don't think. And he averaged nineteen a night. And this team, obviously, is very interesting because they were coming off of the Shaq and Kobe three peat. And they had Sean Bradley on the roster. So they had him, you know, for the Shaq and and the Spurs, who they eventually lost to in the Western Conference Finals. And they used Dirk a lot at the five, but I feel like Don Nelson is going to completely lean all the way into that if they're coaching in today's today's league, league, obviously. He averaged 10 boards. I mean, he was a lot more physical than he was at the end of his career. And obviously being a Don Nelson team, them being first in scoring is without a given, but what really sticks out to me, them being 16th in scoring defense, which for a Don Nelson team, they might as well have been, they might as well have been the top five (laughs) defensive team. Yeah, we just had them. They were literally middle of the road defensively with Nash and Dirk out there. They were actually ninth in defensive rating this season. Yeah. 2.3. So they were a top 10 defense. Yeah. So, while having the first, the highest offensive rating. Yeah, and and this team shot well over thirty eight percent, not well over, but over thirty percent, you know, which is third in the league from three. Yep, and shot you know twenty threes a night, which was number that two was, in the yeah, league. That was that was high for yeah. And in oh three, shooting you know twenty threes a night, people thought they were crazy. And this is really the the first like modern team. That you know was trigger happy. I feel like they made like a deep run. I mean, obviously, you know, teams have played up-tempo, t- you know, style before that. Yeah. But when I think of, like, a, a three-happy team that had their level of success, you know, they were two wins from the finals. I mean, if you consider, like, the, the 90s Rockets are the a three-happy team, yeah. but I don't really consider them that. They were the know. first kind of team. To yeah, really I mean, and, and they had Hakeem Elijah on Exactly. But I mean, they had guys like Robert Orr, stretch fours, and all that. Like, Kenny they, Smith could shoot. Yeah, they, they were shooting a lot of threes. Yeah, but I feel so. like this team, really, the O three Mavericks, they were the first like team to play a modern, up tempo three heavy heavy style. I think today's league, we we talked about Nash four point five wasn't enough on that Suns team. I, yeah. Three point three is going up. Yeah. Three point three three pointer attempts per game. That's, That's going crazy. up in today's league, and he still was getting basically eighteen points. Yeah. Has Nash somewhat become underrated historically? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, a point guard winning back-to-back MVPs. Yeah. Him and Steph. That's it. Like, this is – this team, Michael Finley, Dirk, Steve Nash, their they're top three guys would have been able to compete with anybody's top three in today's landscape. They're, that's a crazy top three. Dirk Nowitzki, seven-footer who can score inside-out. Take it all the way. I think he's shooting more than five three-pointers a game in today's league also. No, it's it's funny. Like, Rondo, two years ago, shot 3.33s a night. Yeah. And him and Nash shooting the same. That was him coming off the bench. Yeah. Yeah, so. Rajah Bell was on his team, too. Young Rajah Bell. He really wasn't a contributor. But, yeah, he wasn't really a contributor. He averaged three points. But, I mean, that that goes to show you, like we were talking about earlier, a lot of these guys have. Yeah. Been on multiple teams because you the know the Suns and Mike D'Antoni identifying him and him becoming in four years going from three points to fifteen points per game pretty much. Yeah, that's a drastic leap. An All NBA defender yeah. too, two time All NBA. He's coming off the bench on this team. I think all five of these teams are fun. You know, two K teams or whatever. If you yeah. look at it like that, like well, do you, you know, think this team could win a championship in today's league? Oh, for sure. Okay. For sure. For sure. Like, they have a big three. Nobody has yeah, a big three don't have nobody else today. Have so, like, they for sure can compete with, with anybody. And like I talked about, you know, Dirt averaging 10 board. They probably move him over to the five full time. They get another floor spacer out there. Like, imagine that. This Being team, able to go five out. 
This team with Sean Marion, I'm all the way on board with them being winning the championship. All yeah. the way. I, I think this it would not surprise me if this team won. But I still... Well, I'm not going to say it wouldn't surprise me. I would probably be 50-50. If you told me a team with Steve Nash and Dirk won a championship, I wouldn't be surprised. If you told me a team with Steve Nash and Dirk beat LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I would be surprised. I mean, Michael Finley, very, very good. Bucket. Bucket. He he was nice for a while. A, a lot of people, I'm not going to say a lot of people. I don't want to speak for everybody. But I know people in our age group whose only reference of Michael Finley was him on the San Antonio Spurs. I mean, he won a championship there. Yeah. But he was he was clearly over the hill at that point. His best years were behind him. Yeah, I mean in Dallas is when he was averaging twenty. He was all a monster. Years, you know, the All Star. He was there. Years. Wasn't he was there with Jim Jackson and uh, Jason Kidd. Yeah, he could score. He could score with with anybody at that time. Yeah. So I, I like this team. I like this team a lot. And like you said, I think all five of the teams they all translate well at least into this era. Four to five, we definitely feel could win a championship today. The only team we don't think could win a championship was the Golden State Warriors team. Yeah. So that speaks volumes to how effective these rosters are, mainly from outside and their defense. I think that some teams just get placed in the wrong area. They play in the wrong area in different circumstances for whatever reasons hold you back from actually reaching your full potential. There's no guarantee that all of these teams win the championship playing today. We just cannot prove it. But I do think that all of them are just as good, if not slightly better, in today's climate. I definitely agree on that, too. I mean, like we talked about, these teams were, like, all ahead of the curve for the the time that they were playing. And and some, you know, whether the metric is, you know, how many threes they took or the pace they played or, you know, the – the guys you can move around at different small ball positions or defensive versatility, I think they all kind of weren't used to their full capability because of the era that they were playing in. You know, it's almost like guys in the in the 2000s were probably looking at them. I mean, looking at looking at the 90s, how we're looking at them. Like, you guys just weren't, you know, playing to your full capability because you didn't really have the... I don't want to say the analytics, but just well, I think the, the data around you're how right. you can play. You're right, though. I think you're right. I think there wasn't an emphasis on floor spacing back then. Or efficiency, or really. Efficiency, no. And so I think that these teams are definitely teams that would have just benefited completely. Like somebody telling Steve Nash, yo, you're shooting three threes a game and you're a 40% three-point shooter. You can shoot off the bounce and off the catch. We need to get you up to eight. Something that simple. Changes your whole ceiling. Yeah. If your best shooter goes from shooting three three pointers a game to eight nine, we can triple your output from deep. It's going to give us even greater chance of scoring more points and being that much harder to guard. Stuff like that, it changes the whole outlook of the team. Dirk Nowitzki, you're shooting four point six threes. Can we get you up to seven? Yeah. Like you see, Kristaps Porzingis shooting seven eight three pointers a night. And of course, Dirk is a much better player than him. Like, yeah, and yeah, Cat as well, shooting seven eight threes a night. Dirk, if we can get you shooting seven eight, we're we're I'm damn sure near unstoppable. He, he would gladly one hundred percent shoot a lot more threes. I mean, you hear about all the guys like Ray Allen and, and Nash and all them guys who were like, when when they retired, they were like, nobody's ever gonna catch the threes we're taking. And now, guys like that who were like. Mid forties three point shooters for their era, they're gonna mess around and not even be top ten, top fifteen no. in the next God, like, like they, ten they years. They're gonna run past them. Yeah, Harden already done ran by a lot I'm of these. J.R. Smith has ran past a lot of these guys. Yeah, Stephen Curry, of course, is gonna put the records. Clay beyond reach. Clay Thompson, like it's just gonna be hard when you see the emphasis on shooting in today's league. Yeah, versus what it was then. That's why I think if you drop the Mavericks team where you drop. That Suns team, those Kings teams, Magic, Golden State Warriors, I think all of them are better today. Yeah, definitely. Undeniable. It's an interesting era, you know. That whole 2000s to to, to 2010 frame of all these teams 
we were really like you know coming off the heels of Jordan being gone. There was a whole lot of isolation, bad wing basketball, especially in the early two thousands. You yeah. know, you had teams just running literally everybody going one side of the court and let this guy go one on one, one four flat all game. Yeah, one guy going like Allen Iverson. I love him. Like, but I think no he'd be team better in today's league. Well, well, definitely, and and they would probably you know have him playing a lot more efficiently too. But they would probably put more shooting around him. Yeah. Like, they would find ways you to... You don't have to shoot 26 shots a night for us to win. Yeah, they, they would find ways to use AI better. But, you know, it just goes down to all these teams being ahead of the curve. Yeah, it is what it is. Like, for whatever reason, the league was different back then, so these teams didn't get to reap the benefits of their rosters. But they were able to make them... I think they would be able to make the most out of them in today's league. It's a fun exercise we can't necessarily prove. But yeah. I'm pretty sure our listeners, they'll chime in when this episode comes out and they'll let us know how they feel or don't feel. I just really, really think that that 0607 Phoenix on the team would just be crazy today. So you think that's probably your favorite out of all these teams? I think that's the best team out of all five of them. Man, I I'm not going like, to say the best. I, I feel like that 09 Magic team that's is the best really, team. really good too. But it's kind of all these... All these teams other than the Warriors could be contenders. They were all like 61 teams for yeah. their era. So, like, it's kind of hard to say who would and who wouldn't translate. Yeah, you're, you're, you're splitting hairs at that point. Yeah, they, they all won 59-62 games. For sure. But that's going to conclude this week's episode of the Play for Keeps podcast. Make sure you follow us at Play for Keeps Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us at the Elite Media Group underscore on Twitter and Instagram and at RNC Radio Live on Twitter and Instagram for all of the latest podcast content that we have coming from different types of platforms, different types of entertainment avenues. Thanks for listening. Until next time, we are out.